0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, and now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 602, and we welcome Dr. Tony Ward of the University of Montana, He's the department chair and professor at the School of Public and Community Health Sciences. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. They are the reason IAQ Radio is still here and still free.
2: IAQ Radio Association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. Learn more at acgih.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute. Learn more at ciriscience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association. Learn more at iaqa.org. AIHA, healthier workplaces, a healthier world. Learn more at aiha.org. And the Restoration Industry Association. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. IAQ Radio Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Learn more at AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And our newest sponsors are the Institute for
1: Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, Learn more at iicrc.org and Healthy Buildings America 2021. Honolulu, Hawaii, August 10 through 12, 2021. Learn more at hbs2021-america.org.
2: And now you can win a cool prize.
0: It's time for the IAQ radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to C. Zlotnick at CS.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z Man with this week's IAQ radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Doug Conan, AirTech Environmental for identifying the 1953 novel Fahrenheit 451 as presenting a future society where books are outlawed and firemen burn any that are found. The IAQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, October 16, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's IAQ Radio trivia question. What is the term used to describe fires spread by wind moving
1: quickly across the tops of trees? Back to you, Joe. Okay, so today we've got Tony Ward. He's a professor and chair of the School of Public and Community Health at the University of Montana. Uh, In addition to teaching environmental health classes, his research involves working with schools and rural communities and schools throughout Montana, Idaho, Alaska, and Arizona on air pollution from forest fires and wood stoves and respiratory cardiovascular health issues. Welcome to the show, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Great to have you, sir. Hey, let's, uh, let's talk, if you would, a little bit about the fires. We've, we've been wanting to focus on the, the fire issues going on out in, on the West Coast, and, and I heard that you were a great guy to talk to about fire-related research and indoor air quality, Um, How did you end up, first of all, so involved with fire-related issues in your career?
3: Hmm. So I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and I moved up to uh, Missoula, Montana in May of 1997 to go to graduate school. And uh, at the time, I was doing a a sampling program, air sampling program, uh, throughout Missoula and and, uh, with the intent of measuring outdoor levels of, of wintertime particulate matter and looking at the chemistry and then figuring out what impact that wood stoves had on, on outdoor air quality. So I had this large sampling program set up um, it, uh, during 1999 and 2000 and then all of a sudden in summer of 2000 we had this this massive wildfire that, uh, that occurred uh, just south of Missoula and it, it significantly impacted our, our outdoor air quality for you know several weeks and uh, so that kind of going through that and <clears throat> seeing you know measuring what levels of, of particulate matter and smoke that people are being exposed to outdoors and then later in my career looking at the indoor exposures that's what really started me down this road of, of uh, trying to figure out like what people are being exposed to uh, during forest fire events Um, And more importantly, what they're being exposed to indoors and then what what we can make recommendations uh, to the public to to protect their health, um, you know, during these events.
1: Okay. And and is it accurate to say that there are more wildfires today than there have been over the last 50 or 100 years? I mean, is that true in Montana as well as what we hear may be true in California and Oregon and so forth?
3: Yeah, we are, here in the Northern Rockies, uh, we, are, we are definitely seeing an increase in fire activity uh, during the summer months. Um, our fire season is, uh, just compared to, to 20 years ago, it's, it's starting earlier, it's lasting longer, and uh, the fires are more intense, and they, they, they grow into these, these megafires. There's a new term for these fires called megafires. So we are definitely seeing an increase in these fires uh, uh, almost every single summer now here in, in the Northern Rockies, and of course you hear, you know, the tragic fires that are happening in California, and this, and and even Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. So it seems like every year, you know, these these massive fires are breaking out, and you know they they just seem to be burning more acreage and impacting, you know, impacting cities and and uh, and not only that immediate impact, but to get the smoke that, uh, that's generated from these fires that can travel hundreds and thousands of kilometers. Um, and that's, uh, that's kind of a, an underappreciated exposure that happening that's happening during these fire events. And, you know, as a result, there's a lot of people that are going to the emergency room with breathing problems and, and, uh, and, uh, and things like that. So, you know, there's definitely side effects that, that uh, are secondary effects that happen from these forest fire events.
1: Well, you're, I believe you're in a school of public health up there, where public and community health services. So how much of an increase do you see? I mean, I don't know this is something we didn't really talk about before the show, but how much of an increase do you see during forest fire season in people going in for, you know, asthma attacks and, and other things that may be related to the higher level of particulate?
3: yeah I mean anecdotally we we always hear from from our local health uh, uh emergency rooms and hospitals that they do see that increase and uh and and people visiting you know emergency rooms there's you know several studies that have been conducted that that do show that association with more people going to the doctor and to the hospitals during during these events um, but I will say that there's a lot more research that needs to happen on on really keying in on on uh um, you know, that looking at the health effects of wildfire smoke exposure, especially, uh, you know, being exposed over long periods of time and, uh, and, and away from the fire, downwind exposures.
1: Well, you have, you've studied a good deal. I'm not sure how much you've looked at the health effects of this particular hazard, but the wood stove issue. Um, how is that similar to and different from, a forest fire I mean what what's different about maybe the pollutants that come from a forest fire than from a wood stove and then if you could tell people a little bit about what your research on wood stoves shows with respect to health issues um I use a wood stove I have for years I don't use it very often anymore but uh I suspect I've I've probably had some some adverse health issues as a result but I don't know for sure what what has your research shown
3: maybe I'll back up a little bit. And so earlier in my career, I was, uh, I was more heavily involved in forest fire research. And, uh, so one of the things that, that became pretty apparent early on is that it's really hard to design a study around a forest fire happening.
1: So we, <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: we, uh And for example, we, um, we were working with a fire crew here and outside of, uh, Missoula, uh, about 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, we, we held, uh, hung some personal monitors, PM 2.5 samplers on the fire crew. And, uh, you know, it, we had it all planned out. We had collected some some other samples from the group. And then they were going to do a control burn. And at the last second, after months and months of planning it, they decided to cancel the burn because there was a, a thunderstorm that was coming. So they wanted to get off the mountain. And and uh, so that was that's a really good example of, like, trying uh, – trying to design studies focused on forest fire smoke. It's just hard to predict in, in um, you know, uh, design studies to depend on a forest fire smoke from happening. So as a result, you know, a lot of, we, you kind of stumbled into this idea of, of, uh, of measuring, um, you know, the impacts of residential wood stove smoke on, on ambient environments or outdoor air. And that was, a you know, here in western Montana and the northern Rockies and anywhere it's cold and there's trees and there's a valley location, you know, during the winter months, residential wood stoves can be the number one source of PM 2.5 um, outdoors. So mm-hmm. we had done tons of studies with local health departments and, uh, you know, state of Montana, Department of Environmental Quality, Idaho DEQ, and others, and, uh, and you know, identified that residential wood stoves were the number one source of PM 2.5 during the winter months. Hmm. So then we kind of got into looking at indoor levels of, of wood smoke from these wood stoves. And what we saw early on is that, you know, there's, there's actually exposures that are happening uh, to, to PM 2.5 and wood smoke that, that are greater or higher oftentimes in the majority of these homes than they are outdoors when you compare it to the Environmental Protection Agency uh, National Ambient Air Quality Standard, uh, daily standard. So then you know, we started looking at ways of, of uh, you know, reducing levels of wood smoke PM 2.5 within these wood burning homes and then um, you know, assessing the impacts of, the, you know, did these interventions, did they reduce uh, or improve, improve air quality and did, did they also improve the health of the residents that, that live there? So when you kind of compare the two, um, you know, outdoors, residential wood stoves, especially in these northern climates like you know Montana where I live, you know, it's it is the number one source of of uh, PM 2.5 every single day during the winter, winter after all winter long, winter after winter after winter. Um, whereas forest fire smoke, 20 years ago, you know, you we would get smoke for you know a week, two weeks, three weeks and uh you know a little bit higher concentrations than what we would see during the winter but it wasn't continuous um now you know forest fire smoke is is kind of a big issue during you know a month uh, several weeks to a month a month and a half each summer here in montana and um so that that's a that's a significant concern, concern. But the majority of our research now is focused on indoor air quality and the impacts of, of residential wood smoke indoors uh, on the health of, of residents in our in our area.
1: How does the particulate from a forest fire versus the particulate from a wood stove differ, if it does differ?
3: Yeah, it, diff- it differs, and. In- it depends on you know how, how far from the source that the, that the smoke is that you're being exposed to. Um, I think we were talking before the show that this year in Montana, we didn't have a, a terrible fire, forest fire season, although all the conditions were, were ripe for a bad fire season. It's really hot and dry, but our, we still had smoke and it was coming from Oregon and uh, in, in California. And even here in, in Montana, there was like a week and a half period where we were just here in Missoula, it was unhealthy air quality for, for that entire period of time. And that's not even our smoke. That's coming from, you know, several hundred miles away. But the smoke that we breathe here is different than what was the folks in Portland and in California are breathing that are just right there next to the fire. So the smoke here is 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 more aged and and uh, it just has some different chemistry. Um, same thing with uh, residential wood stove smoke. You know that that smoke that you're breathing inside the home is a little bit different in chemistry than the smoke that maybe you would breathe outdoors. That that has aged a little bit of time in 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 the uh, in, in the in the, in the a- a ambient air.
1: I could also imagine that if you were close to a a forest fire that also ended up engulfing a community where you had built homes and, and gas stations and marketplaces and, you know, medical offices. Has there been much research to determine how different that smoke is compared to the standard forest fire smoke from burning trees and leaves and brush?
3: You know, that, that's a great question. And uh, I, I think there's starting to be more research from some some uh, universities looking very specifically at that. Um, And I think it came out from the campfire recently in in California where, you know, it's forest fires that's just burning in the forest. That smoke is different than forest fires that burn through the forest and then also start burning homes. And then you're burning plastics and you're burning, you know, rubber and, you know, all sorts of, uh, you're releasing all sorts of nasty things into the air. So I think there are some research groups now that are that are starting to look at that at that that change of exposure in different types of smoke, looking very specifically at that question.
1: Interesting, Cliff. Let me make sure I give you a chance to jump in here. This is you know, fire's kind of your baby, so. Sure. uh A question for you, Tony. You know, there's
0: been. You know, all this great debate, you know, I, I think on television regarding the use of masks for COVID. I'm just wondering if you thought had any thoughts or recommendations, you know, whether people uh should wear a mask outside to protect themselves, uh, you know, in areas where there's uh, you know, significant uh outdoor smoke.
3: Yeah, there's um you know, what we see oftentimes during, during fire season is people just wearing bandanas and, uh, and, you know, cloth masks and, and that's, you know, the, the, the smoke particles, they're, they're tiny. Uh, they're, you know, PM 2.5 or 2.5 microns and smaller. So they're, they're just very, very tiny. The cloth masks may do a good job of scrubbing out like chunks of ash or, you know, larger particles but most of those particles can just go right through through the the cloth mask and the bandanas um, so it, you know wearing a like an n95 or mask that that has more protection and uh, you know there's there's specific masks that that are sold that you know that are focused on scrubbing out smaller particles like what what you would be ex- exposed to during the forest fire seasons.
1: Thank you I mean but right now you can't get an N95 very easily. Do, does your group or any of the public health groups out there give people alternative ways of trying to protect themselves? I mean, do they say, hey, it may not work that well, but, you know, try this?
3: Yeah, and that's, that's what, you know, personally I've seen um, really improve over the last five, 10 years, is the messaging that you provide to the public. Um, Cause I think a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that during a forest fire event that um, oftentimes PM 2.5 smoke levels are just as high inside as they are directly outside. And uh, depending on the, you know, the tightness of the home and some other factors and, you know, especially if you're a, a sensitive population And what I mean by that is if you're, you're older elderly, um, if you have uh compromised health, like, Heart disease, or asthma, or respiratory disease, C O uh, P D, or if you have a an infant in the home, uh, kids. Um, if you have those three groups, then you know there's extra things that you need to be aware of that protect your health, and and simply that that message of staying indoors that that's just not good enough anymore. Uh, you need the the messaging that is starting to come out now. And uh, and and folks here at the Missoula City County Health Department are really doing a great job with, with revising that message, especially over the past several years. Is uh, you know using an air filtration unit in the home to clean up the air, creating a, a clean space within your home. Um, uh, you know, just making sure that your vents are closed so you're not bringing in outdoor air uh, if you, if you run an air conditioner. And another big challenge in our region uh the northern rockies is you know a lot of people don't have air conditioner so during that time you know you're kind of facing that you're sweltering uh because it's hot there you know typically when we're having forest fire seasons so you kind of face that battle do you do you you know swelter in your house and keep your house closed up or do you crack the windows to let some cool air in and let the smoke in um, so you know it's it's a it's a very complex question, but that that's where we've seen the biggest improvements. I think is is not just recommending stay inside uh, or if you go outside wear a mask. You know, there, but there's a lot of other tips that you can do to protect your yourselves within your homes and protect your families within within your homes or within your workspace.
1: You, know, you brought up a really interesting. I hadn't thought about the fact that this happens during air conditioning season and. Typically during air conditioning season, when you don't have air conditioning, like most of the people around me here, we live up on a mountain and typically don't need much air conditioning. Um, you're kind of in a catch-22. You 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 want to bring that outdoor air in and and move it pretty quickly, but if it's full of particulate you don't want in your home, uh, what do you do? We had uh, Linda Wigington on the show. Oh, maybe a couple of times now she's with a group called reducing outdoor contaminants in indoor spaces. They're called Roxas. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not, but uh, she's got a really interesting group of people she works with and they have been promoting using uh, a box fan, essentially a typical, you know, fan you would buy anywhere in Lowe's or Walmart or whatever. And then they tape a MERV 13 filter to that box fan on the uh, inlet side and then they use that to control outdoor particulate in indoor environments. But I, I never got a chance to talk to her about doing that in a fire area. You know, I mean, would it help or not? Because I can see that, yeah, you'd be filtering the air, but you'd also be bringing it in more quickly. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, uh,
3: um, you know, as long as, as long as there's some type of filtration device that, that's – Scrubs out those particles whether it's a do-it-yourself box fan unit or a standalone uh, filtration unit that you buy at Walmart or Lowe's or something like that you know the key is to to be able to one not bring in those particles from outside but two any particles that are already inside you know a mechanism to scrub them out through a filter that that's kind of what the goal is so there's there's a lot of box fan uh, setups that that I've seen that that work great, and uh, that that are cheap to put together and, and effective. So, um, I think they can work.
1: Yeah, recently I've been seeing people doing kind of a a different uh, take on just taping the box fan to the or the the MERV filter to the box fan. John, if you can pull up a picture of one of those. Um, Maybe it's it's probably on the Roxas website, R-O-C-I-S. They've got the, the box fan with the filter attached to it. I've seen people now kind of building a cube out of, uh, out of you know, MERV-13 filters and then pulling that across. And you just maybe think, so if I was in a forest fire I'm, and I'm worried about, you know, it's, I'm overheating, plus I've got all this particulate, I may want to bring in outdoor air with that fan, filter that outdoor air but then also have a room air cleaner because, you know, you're not going to get it all Um, maybe in combination that would work better. What do you think, Tony?
3: Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely something to that.
1: Um, How in your research, how efficient have, has using a, uh, let's just talk about using a HEPA filtered air filtration device that you get from Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever, um, in a small room, if it's properly sized for that room, what kind of particulate reduction have you seen in your research?
3: So that we, uh, I mentioned that, you know, we started doing a lot of indoor uh, air quality studies, looking at making recommendations or implementing interventions and, and looking at the impacts of reductions in, in PM 2.5 and improve, improvements in health. Uh, in homes that have wood stoves. So using one of these filtration un- units like a, a, a 3M filtrate or a, a Winx unit, um, standalone unit that, that that's good for, you know, an area the size of a, a, a fairly large living room. So what we see in these homes that we use the filtration units is a pretty consistent um, 60% reduction in PM 2.5 and in, uh, in all types of settings uh, in different homes so we, and we've actually sampled in hundreds of homes that have had wood stoves and using these filtration units so we see about a 60 percent improvement in in, uh, in in air quality in when you use these filtration units hmm. we've also seen uh, you know that same kind of reduction during the forest fire event so they they work really well um, you know of course there's drawbacks to using Uh, these types of units, you know, they, it's kind of like having a fan in your home. So that white noise sometimes drives people crazy and uh, they don't use it like they should. But if you run it on high continuously, it can do, it can have significant improvements in air quality within your home. And uh, when considering PM 2.5.
1: Tony, just to, our listeners are pretty,
3: um, many of them
1: are are pretty uh, well versed in, in measuring particulate I'm wondering if you could give us a few numbers like you know when you say um, the national ambient air quality standards what is the the standard for PM 2.5 and how high do you see that get in both homes that are in you know wildfire type situations but also homes using wood burners in the winter time I mean how much higher than the NAAQS do you see these numbers go
3: yeah so the uh, daily standard 24 hour standard is 35 micrograms per cubic meter and on average we in in these you know hundreds of homes that we've uh, wood wood burning uh wood stove homes that we have sampled in over the years throughout Montana Idaho Alaska uh, and and down, down in Arizona you know we consistently see average concentrations around 35 micrograms per cubic meter um, okay. So that's important when you consider that, you know, there is no indoor air quality standard. Uh, but during the winter months you're exposed to, you know, by definition hazardous or, you know, air quality that exceeds that, that ambient standard uh, all winter long. We we have measured concentrations, um, you know, in up to 70, 80, 90 micrograms per cubic meter over a period of time. Um, And when you look at like a 24-hour trend, it's not that high over that period of time. What you see is like anytime somebody loads a wood stove, uh, which is the act of throwing wood in, lighting it off, you get a big puff of smoke in your home. Or anytime you you stoke your wood stove, um, you get just a big puff of smoke. So you get this giant spike and then it kind of dissipates out over time. Um, We also have seen uh, like really drafty uh, chimneys, uh, or vent venting systems that go from the wood stoves out the roof, and you know that could leak wood stove smoke in, in inside the home uh, mm. consistently. Or you get that uh, ambient il- infiltration to the, to the indoor air. Let's say your neighbor is just really smoking smoking out the neighborhood, and that smoke can sometimes you know be directed right to your home and and get inside your home. So there's a variety of factors that that contribute to the the indoor levels. During forest fire events, you know we've we've measured concentrations over 100, 200, 300, 400 micrograms per cubic meter during periods of time. Hmm. Um, You know it's uh, again just because you're indoors doesn't mean that you're protected from that 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 outdoor smoke.
1: Are you? um, I I don't. I'm just curious. Do you know what kind of levels they've been measuring out in California and Oregon during this most recent uh, large you know, group of wildfires.
3: You know, i I can only imagine what they're measuring. Um, you know, and uh, and I haven't seen the actual concentrations, but and I I keep up on the news stories, probably like everybody else. And there's probably folks that are on this call or on the Zoom from California or Oregon. But um, you know, it wouldn't shock me if there was you know thousands, over a thousand micrograms per cubic meter. Um, I don't know about indoors, but, you know, outdoors, uh, just significant levels. I mean, I saw the article that that Portland or California had the worst air quality in the entire world during the summer. Uh, So, you know, uh, these are definitely unsafe and unhealthy levels of of, uh, smoke that people are, are exposed to for extended periods of time.
1: We, we've got to go to halftime in a moment, but I want to squeeze in one more question on this topic while we're while we're at it. I, I didn't ask you this before the interview, but I'm just curious. I live in uh, coal country here in Pennsylvania, and we get a lot of people that use these outdoor coal burning furnaces um, and wood burning furnaces as well to you know help cut down on their heating costs in, in, in the winter time. Have you had any experience with measuring the amount of particulate that comes from those?
3: You know, I, I haven't. They, there's not too many of those here in uh, in, in Montana, um, and I haven't dealt with it too much here in the lower 48. I, I did work a little bit on it uh, or, or saw some action up in Fairbanks, Alaska, and the ones that I saw were, you know, pretty significant sources of PM. Um, oh,
1: it's i, I mean, you know i i anecdotally i've i've just i've uh i felt really bad for people in shanksville down here down over the road you know america's town um who have to live next door to somebody with one of those uh coal burning outdoor uh stoves i guess you would call it um they just you can smell it through the whole neighborhood even you know so I can't imagine what it's like to be next door. Um, they are really, really, they really throw off a lot of smoke and it's a really, you know, it's that coal burning smoke, uh, very tough. But anyway, let's, uh, let's break here for halftime. we we'll be back.
2: We're talking about fires and indoor air quality with Dr. Tony Ward of the University of Montana. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at particlesplus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at healthyindoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at aemlinc.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org. The American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA, healthier workplaces, a healthier world. Learn more at AIHA.org. And RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at ciriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. ACGIH, advancing the careers of professionals working in the environmental health, industrial hygiene, and safety communities interested in defining their science at acgih.org. And let's not forget our
1: newest sponsors, the IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification. Learn more at iicrc.org. And finally, Healthy Buildings America 2021. That will be in Honolulu, Hawaii, August 10 through 12, 2021. Learn more at hbs2021-america.org. We're back with the second half of our interview. We've got Tony Ward. Um, I'm wondering, Cliff, do you want to jump in here or do you want me to keep going?
0: Well, I I just have a couple questions. Uh, Tony, um, what do you know about the chemicals used to fight these forest fires, the flame retardants or fire suppressants, and do these have any health or environmental hazards? You know, Cliff, that's...
3: That, i'm not I'm definitely not an expert on on that okay. um, i know there's uh hopefully that what they're i know they've done studies to to not put the most toxic things into the environment when during these forest fire events and so I know that there's definitely health and safety considerations on the fire retardants that they're they're putting down but i I'm just not uh I, I don't know enough about what's in the chemicals uh, to really you know uh, That's, comment on that
0: that that that's fair enough. The other question is somewhat global. Uh, you know, we're having this breakout, or we've been having these increases uh, in forest fires in the United States. You know, as you said, going back over the past couple of decades, is it like this in the rest of the world too? Uh, is it?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you. You know, there's drying climates throughout the world, and you know, associated. You know, folks in Europe are 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 likely experiencing the same. Things that we're experiencing here at, at these latitudes.
1: Thanks, Joe. Uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you this. I, I've and I, I know that maybe this isn't your area of expertise, but you know a lot about these fires and forest fires. Do they? I've been reading. Well, how today with them burning as hot and as widely as they are, they they're creating their own climate. Is that something you can comment on?
3: Yeah, I mean these uh, these fires once they, they reach a certain size and and uh, you know they, they can start to create their own weather patterns and wind patterns and you know it kind of the convection really starts to feed in itself and, and uh, once these big fires start and the conditions are right, you know they they can create their weather patterns that um, you know cause them to burn you know make runs of miles at a time during a single day. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've seen pictures of, of lightning w- within, uh, within the smoke. Um, so they, they definitely can create their own weather patterns.
1: Yeah. And then you got to think that smoke, it, it rises and then it probably hits a part of the, you know, the atmosphere where it's much colder and then it, it, it you may see condensation occur up there. It seems like mm-hmm. there's, um, Really, uh, no end to the changes that some of these fires can produce. I- I'm wondering um, if we could go back a step because you're with the, the Department of Public Health there, and you see the health effects associated with inhaling this very fine particulate PM 2.5 uh, and smaller. What besides the you know the, the increase in the potential for asthma attacks and things of that nature? What else do you see? As far as health effects related to you know people who burn uh, wood burners or they live next door to someone that does or you know they're, they're in a forest fire area, what other kind of health effects are, are possible from inhaling this very small particulate?
3: yeah um, I, you know I've always heard that there's there's never been a safe level of, of particulate that you can be exposed to so uh, I don't buy the fact that one particular can, you know, be bad for you. But uh, you know, um, you know, smoke has been with us since the big since man has been around. You know, uh, you know, forest fires have always been a part of the landscape. Um, but when you look at the, the health effects, um, there's, there's been several studies that you know we all know the, the acute exposures that can happen. You know, uh, watery eyes, irritated eyes, runny nose. Um, congestion you know you feel it in your chest but when you there's less uh, data and research that's been that's looked at the long-term health effects of, of smoke exposure and uh, and and that's kind of really what the big question is because you know again from these these fires in California this summer not only did it expose people in San Francisco and Portland and other areas you know large metropolitan areas but you know like I said here in Missoula you know, a, a thousand miles away, we were, had unhealthy levels. So those fires that happen in California and Oregon are are potentially exposing millions and million, millions and millions of people downwind for, for you know, ex, extended periods of time. So, you know, what we see with the long-term health effects, the suggestions are, you know, of course, had, it, it impacts, uh, you know, respiratory disease, asthma, um, but also cardiovascular disease. You know that uh, you know. Uh, you know that's kind of this emerging field of the study is is um, suggestion is that you know cardiovascular health endpoints are, are 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 worse over time when you're exposed to forest fire smoke, and then kind of the another underappreciated uh, health effect is kind of the mental health when especially during a pandemic when everybody's you know, forced uh, to stay home. And, uh, and you can't go outdoors um, or be around people. And then all of a sudden you are in this apocalyptic you know, landscape where it's, it's dark or it's red outside <laughs> and there's ash falling on your, your, your vehicle. and, and uh, So there's, there's starting to be more studies that are coming out that show that being exposed during, during smoke events can cause you know, an increase in anxiety and uh, depression and, uh, and and but I can only imagine what it's like for folks during this period of time in a pandemic. Um, you know, this that extra stress of having to deal with uh, with unhealthy air like that. So there, I think there's lots of lots of adverse health effects that happen acutely and and, and likely long term. Um, you know, being exposed over long periods of time. But you know that mental health aspect is is just as important as the, the as the physical health impacts.
1: You you mentioned mental health impact and I've seen more and more research not necessarily um, confirming but suspicious I guess that long-term high levels of PM2.5 could maybe lead to other brain-related issues like Alzheimer's and, and dementia, and so on and so forth. I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that.
3: I, um, you know, I've seen those same studies, and and uh, Alzheimer's is is really interesting. Um, it wouldn't surprise me uh, that being exposed to the PM two point five also has some some cognitive issues, uh, or you know, uh, neurological uh, adverse health impacts.
1: Let me, uh, I'd like to do this, Tony. Cliff uh, is, you know, one of the pioneers in cleaning up after, and developing products and techniques for cleaning up after fires. And and we've got a pretty robust group of uh, restoration professionals that listen to the show and watch the show. And I'd like to maybe focus a little on um, some suggestions for, first of all, reducing the impact of, the you know the wildfire smoke getting into your home and then secondly maybe a little on cleaning it up and i understand that may not be your area of expertise so this is where we may do a little practice to research and and uh maybe cliff can chime in on some some thoughts on cleaning up and then you know you could maybe uh comment on that and then and, and, you know maybe it would be something you'd be interested in uh, some of your colleagues may look into it a little more detail but um First, can you give us some tips on lessening the impact of wildfires and, you know, people burning wood burners next door um, on your own indoor environment?
3: I guess the number one recommendation I would make is to have some type of air filtration unit within your home, Um, whether it's a standalone, uh, you know, unit that you buy at a local store or, you know, some type of filtration unit um, you know, on your your AC unit um, or heater, um, but some way of of um, like I said, keeping the the, the outdoor air out, um, and uh, in, in some mechanism of cleaning up the particles that are, that are inside your home. And like I said, the, all the studies that we've done with these filtration units, they they work really really well in doing that. Um, and it, again. Closing vents, outdoor vents. If you're using AC or furnaces, you know, just keeping that that outdoor PM out.
1: And I guess just if you have a central forced air type system, keep it running. Uh, if you've got good filtration, maybe you just keep it recirculating so that your indoor air at least is uh, to some degree getting through that filter.
3: Right, and. Uh, and one other couple things uh, focused on wood stoves is, you know, there, there are certain things that, that we could all do if we have wood stoves that, that will reduce the levels of particulate matter in the emissions. And the probably the most important thing is don't burn wet wood. You know, burning dry and cured wood will, will definitely release less particulate matter into in, uh, in the indoor air, into the ambient air. Um, and then burning at the correct temperatures you know, don't, don't burn at a temperature that's too low where you have more smoldering because that produces more particulates and um, burning at the correct temperature, um, you know, certainly does, does wonders in reducing PM. And then keeping the ash levels, uh, you know, fairly low within the wood stove. You want a little bit of ash in there, but, but not too much ash where it's kind of uh, in, impeding the, uh, the combustion process. Um, and then, you know, the use of fire starters where you can, you know, bring it, uh, uh, the, the, um, the, the fire up the temperature very quickly and you're not constantly open up the door and blowing on the wood or whatever to, to get it to go. Um, so those four tips really do wonders. And for the, the, the moisture, um, you know, having a moisture meter where you can quickly just, you know, stick the moisture meter in the wood and, and check the moisture and make sure it's less than 20%. Um, that that's, that probably by itself, along with a, a temperature gauge, to make sure you're burning at the right temperature. Those two things are, are are you know super important and easy things that we can all do if we have a wood stove in our in our homes to reduce levels of uh, PM 2.5. That's,
1: those are great tips. Um, how people with wood burners may not realize how much um, I'll call it legacy dust. And, and contamination they have in their homes and that maybe some of our restoration professionals might consider uh, marketing people that have wood burners for for deep cleaning or, or something along those lines. Uh, did you want to comment on that?
3: Yeah, uh, like I mentioned the, um, you know, all the studies that we've, we've done in measuring PM 2.5 in these wood burning homes, they the average is 35 micrograms per cubic meter uh, during a, a sampling period. So again, you know, that's what's being released into these homes on, on a regular winter day, uh, of uh, wood stove use, and then multiply that out over an entire winter. And then again, winter after winter, after winter, oftentimes we go into these homes and you would see like the, this, the this tarry material, uh, from the smoke that's on the walls. And, um, and, uh, You know, this I think a lot of people just don't have that you know, they they understand that they're being exposed to wood smoke during a forest fire event because you could see it and you know, it's uh, intuitive, but you can't really can't really see it if it's inside of your home and you don't really have that appreciation that you're being exposed to high levels of, of particulate matter. If it's just in your home and it's part of your daily daily life, um, if you can smell it then you know you're definitely being exposed. But um, I, that could be a, a potential market for for restoration folks because there 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 are high levels of uh, of wood smoke during in these wood burning homes, likely way more over time than what you'd experience in a forest fire event.
1: Interesting. Hey, real quick, um, Tony, does the placement of your wood burner have a great deal of effect on the amount of PM 2.5 in your indoor environment. So in other words, if I've got it in the middle of my home versus um an outside wall versus a west side wall or east side wall, do you have any recommendations along those lines?
3: Well, um, I guess the wood stove is always where the for the most part where the people are. Um, you know, it doesn't do do much good if it's in the garage if you're spending most of your time in your house. So um you know that I think it is more of a function of where where it's you know it's you know where it's located to produce heat to 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 warm the folks that are in the home um,
1: okay yeah, doesn't seem like i maybe that's something that we could you know in the future might be interesting to see I mean it may be in the room you know but in, would it be better in the middle of the room or against the wall an outside wall I know for heating purposes it's better if it's in the middle of the room if you put a, a fireplace on an outside wall your that wall is going to be you know sucking for air um, and that cold outdoor air is going to be a bit of an issue for you so I just thought I'd, I was wondering if there was any information on that with respect to, to particular but let's let's yeah. jump over Do you, you want to comment
3: oh I was just going to say I'm you know I would definitely that's probably a, a question that uh, like a wood still vendor You know, somebody with way more expertise on on that than than
1: I have. That's a good point. They'd be good people to talk to. Cliff, let let me turn it over to you. Okay. Um,
0: Well, you know, when we were talking the the other day, uh, Tony, um, it seemed to me that um, you had some recommendations, I think, from, you know, maybe it's a national standpoint on, Uh, you know, if you had it in your power to change forestry policy to prevent forest fires, you know, what would you do? What would you suggest people do differently? I mean, on a, on a big, you know, looking at this, you know, from the 50,000 foot height overview, you know, what do you think we could do to make it better?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a really, it's a great question, Cliff. Um, You know, I guess there's, two things that that are occurring or that have occurred um which are kind of out of our control at this point one is just the, the the fire or the uh the forest management practices over the past you know many decades of uh once a forest fire starts you put it out quickly and you know that that policy is is uh you know led to a buildup of fuels um you know in our forest and and uh and it, it is what it is um, that, that concurrently now we're starting to see, you know, the f- impacts of climate change with uh, with drier summers, um, you know, hotter temperatures and that's resulting in drier forest. And, and of course, once once you get that start in a dry forest with lots of fuels, you know, these these fires are taken off and and they're starting earlier, they're burning longer. Uh, and they're burning more intensely you know they you know cli- if we stopped every all the the um, you know use of, of fossil fuels today, it would still take some time to for the climate to to adjust accordingly and and uh, and for you know the you know for things to get more back to normal whatever that is at this point so I think I think Policies that are, are targeting, you know, removal of fuels from the forest is uh, is you know certainly certainly a viable option, especially if there's a way of, of you know increasing you know economics out of that and making money and generating jobs. Um, you know, letting fires burn in especially in remote areas. You know that that that's you know. The use of control burns is is in prescribed burns is I think is a really important tool, um, as long as it doesn't impact you know communities with smoke over extended periods of time, um, and then uh, you know letting fires burn during the summer in remote areas that that's probably an option, but you then you start getting into the other side of it, what the health effects, and you know when you start letting fires burn and that reduces more, or produces more smoke, and then you're exposing more people downwind to smoke, and then, you know, what happens if they have, they get sick, or they have to go to the hospital, and then there's those expenses that, that, uh, that you see on the back end. Um, So it's a very, very complex problem, and a complex question with economic considerations, with health considerations, uh, climate change considerations, but if there's those tools that that can focus on you know reducing fuels in our forest and um and and you know communication strategies to the public on how to deal with smoke um you know again the filtration units and creating clean air spaces within their homes uh use of, of n95 masks you know those those mitigation strategies that 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 will allow you to maybe do more controlled and prescribed burns to reduce the fuels in the forest, um, all with while creating jobs uh, for the Forest Service and and uh, you know taking wood out of the of the forest and you know turning that into some type of you know profitable uh, activities.
1: You know, I'm wondering. You 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 mentioned uh, having like a safe room in the house. I'm wondering if your group or or other groups are maybe working with some of the energy people and also recommending that people seal up their houses better so that you don't have smoke coming in through every crack and crevice during these types of events. It seems to me that would make the whole house more of a safe zone, especially if you added some filtration on the inside. And then the other thing that would seem to me that it would help is if you do end up in a situation where your home was in a very smoky area and people like some of our listeners have to come in and determine how to clean that up and get rid of the odors and so on and so forth, the tighter your envelope is, the less likely that smoke would be in the cracks and crevices, in the wall cavities, in uh, attics and, and crawl spaces and so on, which makes it much more difficult to clean. And I wonder if either... One of you or both of you would comment on that, Tony. Let's start with you.
3: Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the messages. At least during forest fire seasons, is just try to seal up your house as uh, as, as completely as possible, or at least it, it. You know, sometimes these filtration units don't clean. You know, entire houses they can clean a room. That's where clean. You know, making sure you have like a t- towel at the bottom of the door jam or something like that. To, you know, just to create that clean air space within within your homes, and I'll let Cliff comment about the the cleaning. Well,
0: I, I I I don't know Joe. It would seem to me that positive pressurization of the house, if you could do it,
1: would probably, good
0: option would probably make uh, a lot of sense, and you know, it would seem in in some of the areas that are prone to wildfires. You know, design the. Uh, HVAC system so that it would positively pressurize the house. So essentially, uh, it's going to be pushing things out rather than uh, letting things in. Uh, I I think the most, you know, some things are uh, really don't panic. You know, if if you have wildfire residue in your house, you know, for the most part, it's a dry particulate residue that's very easily removable. And uh, I would try to remove as much as I could. Uh, in in, in a dry state. So a lot of times you can use your vacuum cleaner. You know, hopefully you have one that has good filtration, such as HEPA and, you know, and and a lot of the brushes actually have uh, a lot of, you know, vacuum tools have brushes. So you can gently, uh, you know, remove the residue. I think also know where to concentrate in most situations, the residue is going to be on horizontal surfaces. So I think you're going to find more of it, you know, on tabletops, on the tops of door jams and moldings and so on and so forth, and you're actually going to find on walls. Uh, It's probably a good idea to know what's smoke and what's a pre-existing condition. So if you know you've had uh, wildfire residue uh, on your home, you could go out uh, and purchase if you don't already have it home. Uh, these white cosmetic wipes that women use—it's like a white sponge. They're little triangles, and you can kind of wipe that on the outside of your house, an area that you know that uh, you had this forest fire contamination, and then wipe them around the inside of the house. And what will happen is you're looking for the same color, the same color of residue, because you know a lot of times the smoke soot is you know going to be black in color uh, rather than uh, gray like dust is. Uh, a lot of times dust is going to be thick. It builds up over time and these smoke related layers may be, uh, you know, maybe be much thinner. So, you know, those are some things uh, that they can think about perhaps do in those situations.
1: Great tips. Thank you, Cliff. I'd also like to add that I like the idea of positive pressure and the positive pressure is easier to achieve if you've got a good tight building envelope. So it's kind Absolutely. of like all these things work together. Um, Tony, before we call it a day, uh, we always like to give the last word to our guest. Any final thoughts? Things that we missed? You want to add something to what Cliff just said?
3: Um, you know, just thank you for having me, and it's a- always fun to talk about, um, you know, our research projects, and and uh, and you know, it, for us, it kind of goes beyond research. It, this, you know, I'm a I'm a citizen of Missoula, Montana that has to deal with forest fire smoke, just like millions of other people in our, our area, and uh, and and it's you know getting the word out on ways that people can protect themselves and and uh, just drawing awareness that uh, you know they you know just staying indoors during forest fire events is 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 not good enough. There's other things that you could do to further protect your health, and just getting that message out is really important. And I just appreciate the opportunity to to share some of this with you.
1: You know, you, you mentioned your research projects, and I I hope you got an extra minute. Um, you talked to us about a project you did for a restoration company, I think, in in Mexico, where you were trying to determine how far the contaminant could spread. Or so, could you quickly like tell listeners a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, so this was a a project in in. Uh, from the Lost Conscious Fire in New Mexico and, uh, and after 2011 uh, fire season. And we were hired by a, uh, a lawyer firm that was representing a restoration restoration company uh, to collect some wipe samples and uh, 65 homes, give or take, and uh, in areas downwind of the fire. And uh, what we saw was, you know, uh, about 70% of the homes did have measurable levels of, uh, of char from the wipe samples. We didn't collect any <clears throat> ash from the samples, but we did measure char, uh, you know, up to 50 kilometers away from, from that fire. At the time, it was one of the largest fires in the area, but it, since then, has been surpassed uh, many times. But um, How did
1: you analyze the char?
3: Uh, we sent it off to a laboratory and did uh, PLM analyses, if I recall correctly. Okay.
1: okay. Well, Tony, thank you so much, Dr. Tony Ward, uh, for joining us today on IAQ Radio Plus. This is Radio Joe Hughes, again, saying thanks to Dr. Ward, of course, to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnik. I also want to thank... Our engineer John, you got to have faith. Uh, next week we have actually we're bringing back Claudette Hanks Reichel. She'll be talking to us from uh, Louisiana State University down in Louisiana. We're going to follow up on some of the hurricane-related issues they've been dealing with down there that haven't gotten enough press. Uh, please be back and and join us next Friday for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus.
2: For IAQ
0: Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying.